Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Don Nickel, who is the creator of She Recovers, the largest online platform dedicated to supporting women in recovery from behavioral health issues. Thanks for joining me today, Don. Oh, you bet. It's my pleasure, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we go any further into your work with She Recovers, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your own personal experience. So how did you end up finding recovery yourself? Well, I think that I was probably, I knew that I was addicted by the time I was 17. I'd been using for just a few years and I'd already had several overdoses. And uh, so I knew kind of at 17 that there was an issue. And I remember thinking that I'm not like other people. I'm not going to be able to do this for very long. And by the time I was 20, that was even more clear. Um, And I got pregnant at 20. And so I always talk about the period from when I was 20 till I was 27, when I entered my first treatment center, as my seven years of harm reduction. So um, throughout the pregnancy, I, I minimized my use, but I still used primarily alcohol at that time. I kind of stopped using the, the drugs that I was using um, during my pregnancy. But after my daughter came along, I kind of, then I became kind of like this weird binge user, whereas before I'd been pretty steady. But so I really do think I was moderating my use for about seven years. And then I ended up in a very um, abusive relationship in marriage. I had a second child and I just could no longer cope with both the the domestic violence and the, the using and something had to give. So I knew that if I was to escape the relationship, I needed to get clean. So I went to treatment in 1987. And when I got out, I did, I did actually not go back to that relationship. The marriage ended um, from treatment. I left my husband from treatment. And for a couple of years, um, a, a little more harm reduction, smoked a lot of pot until 1989. And then I entered a 12-step program and got really serious about my recovery. And so since um, May, May 1989, I've been clean and sober for all but two days of the last 31 years. Um, In the year 2000, my mom passed away and I uh, decided I needed to use her leftover pills to kind of moderate what I was feeling and the trauma of the loss. So in May, if you are a person in a 12-step recovery program that counts abstinence, um, in May, I'll celebrate 20 years of complete abstinence again, having had 11 years prior to that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's pretty awesome. So I've got to say, you know, uh, considering that you work with, uh, you know, women, I, I think the fact that number one, I, I love your, your honesty and, and I'm assuming, you know, I, I would think we both agree that just needs to be part of, of the recovery process for sure. But 
what I, I would gather some women really appreciate is your honesty surrounding your, uh, your use slash drinking. I think you said you had really cut back on the use during your, your pregnancy because that's just something that happens sometimes, right? So, I mean, yeah. what, I'm just curious, what is some of the feedback that you get on that from women? And what do you hear from some of the women you're working with maybe that are, are trying to deal with that? Well, I think it's just really important that we share our stories so that, that and, and I share it kind of like what I always think is like when I talk about the fact that I was using when I was pregnant or that, you know, I was in a, I was a drug dealer or like all the things that I did that, yeah. you know, other people might go be aghast at the idea. Like I, mm-hmm. there's no emotional charge for me to share those things anymore. And I hope mm-hmm. that that's, and I've heard, you know, from the women that are in our community that like, that's, that's kind of refreshing for them to know that I have no shame. I'm not going to apologize for having used drugs as a you know drug addict during a pregnancy um, right. or been you know used as I did with when I had two young children it's just what I did you know it's just who it was my coping mechanism and so if I don't have any shame kind of I obviously you know did a lot of work a lot of therapy a lot of sure. steps to get to the point where I don't have shame about those things but I think women appreciate it it gives them the opportunity to kind of maybe disclose you know what um, I did that too. And, and I've just been afraid to tell everybody, anybody because I'm so ashamed. And I mean, shame is just the great contributor to addiction, right? So it's it is. just not, you know, I don't run around saying rah, rah, aren't I great? I did all these horrible things, but right. they were just the things I did. They weren't who I was. So, well, and what a gift that, that anyone can get to a point where you're not living. I, I really like how you describe that. Like there's not that emotional charge surrounding that anymore which is just such such an incredible gift and i'm sure we're going to get into uh, a little bit more about how you were able to get to that point and how you Mm -hmm. help other women get to that point so tell me about how she recovered was was actually started where where did all this come from and what is it all about yeah so in my recovery again i was really involved in in a 12-step program for people in recovery from drug addiction and uh you know for many many years and at various times in my life when my mom was terminally ill uh, when i was i went back to school and i ended up staying for 13 years and getting three degrees including a phd Uh, there just you know there were times when i i just had to supplement um, my 12-step recovery program with other modalities primarily therapy uh, mindfulness you know meditation um kind of spiritual search all those types of things and and so i would I would kind of go in and out of my 12-step program, depending on, um, quite frankly, sometimes depending on the judgment from the people in those rooms about, you know, whether or not I was going to enough meetings or whether I was doing enough service, Uh, you know, other people trying to tell me how to do my program. Yeah. And, you know, I still consider myself a member of that program and I still go to meetings. Um, But I've just, I started supplementing with so many other things. And what I realized was there are just so many other things that I'm recovering from. Hmm. I couldn't just go to a place that was for drug addiction. I mean, I couldn't, you know, because I, I wanted to, I wanted to respect the, the traditions and the, um, you know, the sole purpose of those meetings. Sure. But I had things to talk about, like love addiction and eating, you know, disordered eating and uh, workaholism and all the things that I was struggling, codependency, all those hmm. things. So I just kind of cobbled together my own approach. And then in the year 2011, I actually hit the wall with what I was struggling with the most and had been for five years, which was workaholism. 
I was working three jobs, three careers, basically, wow. so three full-time jobs. Wow. Um, you know, I'd, I'd lost my mom, I'd finished my PhD, I'd gotten cancer myself, and I felt like when I finished my PhD in 2005, I remember just having the sense of, oh my gosh, I'm 45 years old at that time, and I'm so behind in my life, and I've just got to, you know, I've got to do all this, I've got to get all this financial reparation from being in school, and my husband had sold his business, and, you know, that I just had all this stuff that I had to do to make up for time that I'd spent being an addict being in recovery, having cancer, being in school, taking care of my mom. And I started really going fast and I, and I managed to really go fast for about six years. And then I hit the hit a bottom that I always describe as just the same as just as scary as hitting a bottom with drugs. Um, you know, I felt empty and depleted. My relationships were in tatters around me. Um, I was having physical manifestations of, of the stress from overwork. I was blacking out. I mean, I would drive home from wow. work and pull into my driveway and not remember the 15-minute drive from wow. my office. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was insane. So I ended up going to my doctor because I and I start I couldn't I would lose words and I thought, oh, I have early onset of Alzheimer's. So I went to my doctor and I described my symptoms to her and and she asked me some questions about my life and she just said, "You're stressed. You're burnt out. You know, you have all these things kind of going on with you and you need a break." And I remember saying to her, okay, I would take a couple of days off. And she laughed and said, no, you're going to be off for months. Like, I don't think you realize how, how dangerous this is, the situation you're in. Mm. So I did end up being off of work. I, you know, I'd finished teaching a course. So I was done with my teaching university um, just barely at that time. I was doing some consulting work and the contracts that I had um, with other clients had ended. So I was finished with the consulting. And the only job I had at that moment was uh, a big, job in government. I was the director of research. So I, I could go on leave from that one job and put the others aside. And I did that for four months. And in that time, I just kind of really did, um, I took an inventory, right? I mm. took an inventory of my life and realized that, you know, I had, I had survived addiction despite four near-death overdoses. I had survived cancer, although my cancer story was one where I was within an hour of my death when they opened me up surgically to remove a tumor that had perforated my colon. And I just remember thinking like, you know, I've, I've, I've been given this gift of life twice and I'm screwing it up, you know, by just getting this other thing going with this workaholism and that, and I didn't, you know, I didn't get clean and I didn't come into recovery to not have relationships with my husband and my children. So I just did some deep soul searching and I, and what came up for me was I really wanted to do more work with women. Um, in my consulting work and in my background, I was a consultant in the areas of mental health, addiction, and intimate partner violence, three things that I had personal lived experience with. Um, but it had always been kind of at the policy level and, you know, creating support and doing analysis and research. And I realized that, um, you know, I wanted to do more one-on-one -on -one help, kind of maybe coaching with women. So um, in that four-month period that I was off on leave, I started a blog called Recovering Dawn, and I started just kind of putting my ideas out into the blogosphere around, you know, we're all recovering from something, and we have to do it different ways. Like, there isn't one pathway for anybody. And the response was just really, um, it became really apparent to me that women were actually looking for that type of information. There were women who maybe... Um, had been trying 12-step recovery for whatever it was they were recovering from and it wasn't working and they wanted to know that there was hope that they could do something different. There were women who were doing something different and needed to know that 12-step recovery was actually a great thing and they should check it out, um, you know, so, and so on and so forth. So it just kind of started the conversation. I started a Facebook page called She Recovers 
when I went back to work after four months, because uh, as a workaholic, I couldn't work couldn't all day away. and then blog all night. Yeah. And my daughter, <laughs> who knew more about social media than I did in 2011, said, let's just start a Facebook page. Okay. So we did that. And then within a year, um, we decided to offer, um, I did a coach, recovery coach training, and we decided to offer a, our the very first She Recovers Yoga and Recovery Retreat in Mexico in November 2012. And that wow. was the beginning of She Recovers. That's awesome. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so interesting to me. You, you've touched on a lot of points here, but it's so interesting to me that I, I think it just says a lot about uh, our thinking, or I, I, I'm just going to relate my thinking to your thinking in that, you know, we go so far to the left with like not doing anything in life mm -hmm. at some point to so far to the right where it's we're working three jobs to the point of, you know, blacking out on the way home, not even remembering the drive home. And and that is interesting. You know, I, I think that's also important, an important point in and of itself that stress can manifest itself in so many ways oh, and yeah. you blow it off, right? You're like, there's no way this is stress. This has got to be something more serious. And, and it and it is stress. So stress. You, you just touched on something a couple times there. You said we're all recovering from something. And, and I, I do believe that. And funny enough, this was uh, brought to me by a, a client that's not even in recovery uh, himself. And we were having a conversation about this way back. And I, I had never thought about this before. So what exactly do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. Because I, I know that this is kind of at the top of the intentions and guiding principles of yeah. uh, She Recovers, which I want to get into here in a second, yeah. but what does that mean? Yeah. Well, it's just, it's kind of the fundamental underlying principle of She Recovers, right? Okay. Is like, we're all in recovery from, and, and it just, it's the human condition. Everybody hmm. has stuff, right? There are, um, you know, um, many of us are recovering from our childhood, something in our childhood, and it doesn't have to be a big, dark thing. You know, it, it can be just, you know, whatever it was, but what the reason that it's so important to me was because I realized, you know, through therapy and through steps, through all the work that I did, that the thing that I thought I was in recovery from, which was drugs, was actually my coping mechanism. It was my solution, right? It, it wasn't actually the problem. I mean, it became, it became a problem, but it started out as a solution to, and again, this is what I actually realized in when I had my kind of breakthrough. Some people call it a breakdown. I call it a workaholic breakthrough, was that I had been self-medicating with work and with drugs and with relationships and with food and all the things that I self-medicated with to cover up underlying anxiety that I hadn't even realized I had. And so I kind of did, an, again, another inventory with my therapist around, like, when did your anxiety start? Like, how long have you been anxious? And I remember thinking, like, I, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not anxious. I'm, I'm confident. I'm like a go-getter. I, I don't have anxiety. And then really digging in and realizing that I was, an, I was an anxious little girl. I was a really, really anxious little girl. And that anxiety has always been with me. Hmm. And so for me, the power of knowing that and kind of what it's done in this last, this next stage, like my third act of my life and of my recovery, is just kind of acknowledging and respecting that, right? That it's, and I can talk about that. I can talk about being in recovery from cancer, from loss. And somebody's going to relate to me, right? I mean, sure. I think in large part what she recovers is about is we want to eradicate the stigma around recovery, mm. regardless of what it's about. About 80% of the women in our community are in recovery from substance use disorder. They okay. also identify as being in recovery from all the things that go along with that. 
Another 20% may not have a substance problem, but they might be codependent, love, ad love addicted, shopaholics, workaholics, you know, all of those other things. So when I started talking about we're all in recovery from something, what started happening was it just, it created a more inclusive space for women to come together and talk about healing. And it also provided women an opportunity to come and be part of that space and not have to disclose anything that they were ashamed of. So for instance, at our retreats, many times we've had women, because we've had 34 retreats in the last seven and a half years. And we've had women come to our retreat in the beginning when people are sharing about their, what they're in recovery from, they'll say, well, you know, I've just had a lot of addiction in my family and I feel like I need to recover from that. You know, the adult child stuff and everything else. And as she listens to everybody else talk about the things they're in recovery from and all the different things and manifestations. Towards the end of the week, you know, we've had women say, I didn't want to say it because I'm ashamed, but the addiction problem in my family is me. Mm. I have the addiction. Interesting. And I just wasn't ready to say that until, you know, I'm sitting here with 20 other women and you're all talking about it like it's a, it's like a badge of honor because it got you here. And I'm realizing like I've been looking at this all the wrong way. So wow. I guess, you know, th th so that principle kind of comes from the fact that I believe with every cell in my being that it's true, that we've all got something. And then I've also seen the power of the permission that that gives people to just come and hang out and be in recovery and not really have to, you know, disclose or talk about what they stopped using or when they stopped using it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I'm also thinking that kind of like you were touching on there, very rarely am I talking to someone just like a buddy in recovery, maybe that doesn't have some type of other addiction going on, you know, whether it be shopping, gambling, sex addiction, uh, you know, so I, I think you're, you're right that everyone is recovering from something. And a lot of the times it's multiple things. It's very rarely, I think just one singular uh, addiction. Right. Yeah. And um, I think that's really cool that you're providing, you know, like in these retreats, for instance, a, uh, a place where a woman can come and maybe she hasn't been introduced to a 12 step program or, or maybe she just went and didn't feel comfortable or, or whatever the case may be. But she's getting that experience that I think is so powerful and was so powerful for me in a 12-step setting where it's for the first time I'm, I'm feeling – I'm not feeling shame or, or guilt yeah. over what I've been dealing with. Like I am feeling empowered. I'm feeling hope yeah. because I'm seeing all these other people that are dealing with the same thing or, or in this case all these other women that are dealing with the same thing. And it's like, wow, this is a safe place. Yeah for me to say, this is what I've been dealing with yeah. because all of these other women have used that as kind of their, their launch pad or their jumping yeah. off point to yeah. recovery. I think that's, that's so incredible. Now I want to go into some of the, uh, the other guiding principles here. <laughs> and so I, I really like this one. I just want to touch on a few here. Yep. Uh, these are all so good, uh, but we believe in early intervention yeah. We don't have to hit rock bottom to pursue recovery in any area of our lives. I really love this. I think this is one of the biggest misconceptions. And, and I think it's one of the most verbalized things, right? For, for people that are actually dealing with addiction themselves and then people that think maybe they know something about addiction. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with someone that that is not an addict themselves, isn't really too familiar with any of this and they say well you have to hit your rock bottom right and 
And I think so many people, you know, come into a program of recovery thinking that, and it's like, you don't have to lose everything. You don't have to lose everything. Why why do you think that's important? And and did you, do you feel like you really hit a rock bottom? Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Me too. I had a few. Me too. I had a few. I mean, you know, I, uh, yeah. Yeah. I was, I mean, I, yeah, my use was off the charts and Mm. in a very short period of time, you know, originally like 15 to 20 and then moderated, but still like amazing binge incredible experiences for that seven years that I was doing my harm reduction but no I was like I was um horrifically addicted so I I had rock bottoms Mm. ended up in a relationship where there was a person who you know might have killed me if you know if his addiction had gotten just a little bit worse and I was too addicted to get out of it until until I got out of it so um but the the principle of early intervention is really important to me for a couple of reasons and one is that my daughter Taryn who's the co-founder of She Recovers um when she was 16, uh, it as it turned out, she started using drugs and very, very quickly, you know, the drugs that she was using at the time, uh, which were, you know, cocaine and meth, uh, I was, cocaine was also my drug of choice. She spiraled out of control very, very quickly. Hmm. So she became um, dependent very quickly, but okay. she didn't have time to really like hit a rock bottom because eventually although it took me a way longer than I wished to notice what was going on because she was like her mother very manipulative she could lie her way through anything sure um but by the time we figured it out and kind of like we have to do something I was the interesting thing for me was I was hearing from two people two two sets of people at that time like what do we do with Taryn now she's running away with a drug dealer you know she's just following in her mother's footsteps um and so I had two kind of influences in my life I had the professionals who were saying like, she's, you know, you need, we need to intervene and we need to do this and that. And, you know, we have to get her out of this very dangerous situation. And we have to do that now, like before things get too bad. And I had, God bless them, people who I had been in recovery with for that time for like 12 years saying, you know, she's just going to have to hit a bottom. You know, you're just gonna have to let her wow. go and she's gonna have to hit a bottom. Gosh. And, and I just like, I, you know, I remember going back to the professional and like the therapist, our family therapist and saying like, I, I just don't know what I believe. And she said, well, her bottom could be death, you know, or it could be that she gets, you know, ends up in the sex or like, who knows what her bottom could be. Um, but she said, like, we're not going there. Like we're intervening, we're intervening now. And obviously when, you know, I feel for any parent who's out there dealing with a child in addiction, because not everybody is going to respond the way that Taryn did. Taryn was raised in a, because I left the bad marriage married a perfectly wonderful person who celebrates 31 years clean tomorrow that's awesome um, you know we met early in our combined recovery paths and so she had grown up in a household by that time knowing that um you know there's a thing about drugs in our family and we just don't do them because we get addicted to them so she knew that and also she, you know, she just, she really didn't, she felt that she didn't want to be going down that path. So we were really lucky when we kind of locked her in her room to detox and, you know, did all the things that we did with her. Um, She adapted fairly well. Whereas, you know, another child might've just busted out of the house and left. And that would have been, she did do that once, but we did get her back. So um, the whole idea that we kind of caught her when it was early was it just so powerful for me. And, Mm. you know, I've shared that message with other people very a lot now when people who are in addiction themselves talk about their kids and they minimize it um, 
something that I heard actually at an NA convention many years ago, I repeat, and I repeat Taryn's experience too, and that is, in most cases, children of normal people experiment with drugs. Children of people who get addicted, get addicted. And so that, you know, at any time that you can intervene with a, a teen is probably the right time to try. And again, you know, God bless the parents that are doing everything they can. It's not that I did anything better or different than them. It's, you know, it's just a con kind of a compilation of all different factors. Taryn was afraid of drugs because she knew what had happened to her mom, her dad, her real dad and her stepdad. So she had a healthy fear of addiction. Um, and she didn't stay clean. She stayed clean for a number of years. And then okay. she thought, you know, I was 16. I just want to right. try it a little bit more. So she went through her own period of time of playing around with it again. But yeah, been back on track for years now. Well, I, you know, I can only imagine, I mean, I don't have kids yet. And I, I will just say that these conversations, I always appreciate them. And they're almost part of my own recovery process and, and mm -hmm. understanding, you know, what I put my own parents through. You know, and um, and at the same time, it's got to be such a, a, a tough deal. I'm thinking about I'm relating it to just dealing with friends. And I was just having a conversation about one of my buddies that's struggling today. And it's like it, it's this struggle between, well, I don't want to try to like force them and they're not ready yet. But at the same time, like this is someone I care about, you know, and it's such a tough thing. But I, I mean, I'm thinking you know, just to relate it to my own story, that had it not been for my parents really stepping in and really just saying, like, you've got to do something about this and, and almost forcing me to go to treatment, you know, I probably wouldn't be, I probably wouldn't be here, period, today, much less, you know, clean or, or anything like that. So, yeah. so I do appreciate that. I think you, I think you said it pretty well. It's, it, you at least have to try. Yeah, uh, to really intervene. So uh, now let me ask you, I mean, just on that that point of not having to hit rock bottom. Do you think that when you introduce this, you know, to some of the women coming into your community? Do you think that 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 kind of do you see that kind of strike them sometimes? It's like, wow, I've never really thought about that. I mean, I kind of thought I just had to like keep digging this hole or or how does that strike some women, do you think? No, because I think, well, in our community, there are, there are a lot of women who who just kind of know this already intuitively. Okay. okay. Um, so because I think the messaging, you know, the messaging that we think is so prevalent, which is that you have to hit rock bottom, is changing now. Uh, you know, I, when people talk about, and I know this, it's controversial at times, the, the, the sober curious movement or right. the, you know, um, that women are realizing, and, and I guess for me, what I know to be true about women, and this is, you know, the research bears this out as well, is that when we, when women in particular become mothers, they're, you know, they might be using, and, and the way they're using, often it's alcohol, but whatever they're using, it just doesn't really jive or fit very well with mothering, you know, so they might not be like, having to sell their car for drugs or sell their rings for drugs or anything, but they know that this isn't working, you know, it's not working. And, you know, God bless the little children, right? Children know things and they say things. And so I think that women and moms in particular, um, yeah, they just kind of, you know, they, they figure out that they don't have to take, the, you know, what is that saying that's been around 12-step recovery? They don't have to take the bus, all the truck all the way to the dump before they stop. So, um, 
and I think that then they they come into our community because we I mean we do we have lots of free online support right so when you come into a community and you're questioning whether you are bad enough or whether you're too bad or you're so bad and then other women are sharing about you know it just got to the point where this happened and I realized I couldn't continue I remember one woman sharing many years ago sharing with me that like I have got to stop drinking and I was like well what's the indicator like what 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 that would happen she said I just knew without a doubt like I woke up one morning and I blacked out the night before and I just knew it was time and I just thinking going I've been whoa yeah okay yeah and I'm thinking like I blacked out the very first time I ever drank alcohol wow. yeah. <laughs> and I kept drinking for another 12 years it never yeah. occurred to me that a blackout was a reason to quit you know yeah. so just those types of things right other people just our threshold for discomfort with ourselves change is different for everybody mm, that's and true. Uh, I think that you know women are more fortunate in today's recovery community because they are finding other women more like themselves um, if they are or we call them you know Jolene Park who's a, a wonderful recovery coach um, who works with us and is a part of our community she calls it early exiters like gray area drinking it's, it's specifically okay. about drinking and not not all drugs but sure um, so she refers to them as early exiters. Well, I really like that, you know, because, I, and I think it just goes back to what I think a lot of people do. You know, I, I mean, one of the first suggestions I was given going into a 12 step program, going into my first couple of meetings was to look for the similarities, not the mm -hmm. differences. Right. And I yeah. think we just, we're human, you know, and even though we're not being, judgmental necessarily of these other people or of someone else that's sharing we are judging like that's just yeah. naturally we're judging the situation and you know our minds are saying just kind of the protective mind is saying yeah that's not that's not me yeah. so I, I think that's so great that they're um you know to have a community where where even some of these gray area drinkers are included you know, because like you said, they're recovering from something. Right. Yeah. And especially when you think about early intervention, again, you know, my PhD is in healthcare policy and in, in healthcare policy or even like in medical policy and like the medical field, we recognize that, you know, there's, there's prevention. We want to prevent disease. We want to address it early and then we want to address it when it's in its chronic. And then we want to address it like if it's, you know, it's kind of at the end or whatever, but in addiction, it's like we save all the money and all the resources and all the attention for the for the people at the, this end of the spectrum. And, you know, with the opioid crisis in particular, it is important that the resources go to those people that are in most immediate danger of losing their lives from right. what they're doing. Right. Clearly, I'm not I'm not suggesting that we take away from there. But, you know, with addiction, if you if you believe addiction is kind of the recurring brain disorder that we believe it is. The people that are back here in their, in their recreational use or whatever we want to call it or minimal use, like mm. they're going to move along and they're going to get there. So we do need to pay attention to this other end of the spectrum. It's, you know, if any, if I, I mean, I knew by 17, it wasn't, you know, we weren't in a day where people would say, hey, this kid keeps ending up overdosing on pills and other drugs in the hospital. We need to do something about it. It was just kind of like okay, we got her through this crisis. Now let's send her back out in the world and see how she does. You know, there was never any, any idea that it could get worse or that it would even continue. Everybody thought, well, if you overdose, surely you're going to leave here and you're going to do something different and not be back here. Right. So. 
Yeah. Well, and, and I think again, that the prevention has to be there. Um, and, and I think I'm just thinking to like growing up myself even, you know, and I mean, I had dare when I was a kid, you know, but Most that was in like program. Yeah. And, and that was like in fifth grade. And then there's this huge gap and then there's not really anything else. So I, I think that just goes along with what you were saying. And that, that's the, it's so important that the, the stigma, and I think, you know, I think in, in some part, at least the stigma is starting to change, you know, and I've had this conversation many times, you know, we've got more celebrities coming out. We've got the sober curious movement. We've got, you know, I, I mean, I would say a big indicator is look at where the money is going. And when you see, you know, uh, liquor companies starting to invest a ton of money in non-alcoholic, really zero alcohol beverages, yeah. uh, that, that's a, a sign of the times. That's a, yeah. a sign of, you know, a, a shift and hopefully this stigma changing, um, you know, gets more people talking. And I, and I think it is, you know, I think it is starting to, to change a little bit. I think, you know, like our job, I always say, well, I say a lot of things, obviously I talk a lot, but um, <laughs> you know, the She Recovers movement is all about showing women that recovery is possible, is not only possible, but it's cool. It is. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it's wonderful. And um, it's, you know, that recovery isn't a, isn't a death sentence. No, everybody not... thinks it is. If they're, you know, take my drugs away from me, take my alcohol away from me. I'm never going to have fun again as long as I live. Yeah. You know, and that takes a long time for people to lose that idea. But I think you're I do right. believe this, that it is changing. People are recovering out loud, right? Which is our last principle mm. where we talk about, you know, we need to recover out loud when we're ready. And that's only when we're ready so that other women can find us and join our movement. That's... And I think that, you know, having all the uh, social media has had a huge yeah, you know, it's it's had a huge influence on people sure. choosing recovery. Look at Instagram and how many sober influencers and sober accounts there are on Instagram. It's insane. It's wonderful. Yeah, no, I, I think it's really awesome. And, you know, my wife, who's not in recovery for a long time, like, you know, I used to say like, like, just within the past few years, like, isn't that crazy how like every TV show has like a uh, an underlying tone of recovery or like there's 12 step meetings going on or this yeah. person is. And she would just say, no, you're just like more drawn. You're just noticing it, you know, right. because, and now it's like, okay, Brad Pitt, <laughs> let's stop there. You know, it's yeah. like the, these big people that you never thought mm -hmm. would be speaking about. I mean, you know, let's look at the, the Super Bowl was, mm -hmm. you know, a couple of days ago, Demi Lovato, you know, yeah. singing the national anthem. Um, you know, there's all these stories coming out mm -hmm. that, that aren't, it's not just here and there. It's it's very prevalent. It's very frequent. It's in the limelight. I think I think it is a cool thing, you know. And I love what you said. I mean, if there's one message I'm trying to get across on this podcast, it's exactly that: that mm -hmm. recovery isn't just possible. It it can afford you an awesome life beyond anything that that you can even imagine, which has been my experience. Yeah, my husband shares a message. Well, he he's he's kind of a recovery god in my eyes he's also he can also be a real ass but when it, he's you know he, and i know that these aren't necessarily original things that he shares but he always says if you're not having fun in your recovery switch something up because you're doing something wrong hmm. and he also talks about how somebody told him and i know i've heard this a lot kind of in 12-step recovery that like when you come into recovery make a list 
of, of what you hope to accomplish and, and you, the dreams for your life. And you revisit that on a regular basis and it won't take more than a year or two to realize that you, you undercut, you kind of, you shot for below what you really think that you know that you undercut yourself or you, um, I forget exactly how he says it, but it's just so true. And that doesn't mean that life is, life in recovery is just all pink bubbles and, and right. hugs. You know, it's, you know, people still die and I, you know, people get sick and yeah. You still have to make money and, you know, it still rains and snows on the West Coast when you don't want it to and all of those things. But being present for it and, you know, being present to yourself and to the people that you love and, and helping other people to kind of find that same presence and awareness and mindfulness. It's just there's nothing like it really. to be. It's like this club. It is a club, the recovery club. And it's yeah. I think it's the greatest club on earth. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty awesome. And and yeah, I, I think that, you know, for me anyway, it just that hope that I felt about being able to get clean, you know, that kind of started to translate, uh, thankfully, to other areas of my life, even when things weren't going great. It's like, yeah, but you know, that worked out. So like, I yeah. feel like this can probably work out. And that's, that's why I think, you know, what you mentioned about how you got into therapy and meditation and and all these different things and kind of your own little spiritual journey you know i i think that even though like the root of of my recovery is a 12-step program i think that's stuff that we should just be exploring mm -hmm. you know i i think that's something that should be encouraged you know figure out because even within a 12-step program thing people are kind of doing things uh, you know their own way to a degree so i think we need to find what, what works for us. Now, speaking of a 12-step program, I want to move on to this next one here. Mm. Next guiding principle, we focus on our strengths, not our defects. This is how we change. Now, I don't want to assume anything here, but I'm thinking that the word defects was used uh, because it, it's a different line of thinking from a 12-step program. We talk about you know defects of character, which is focused on and is that kind of the thinking behind this one here? You know, I will tell you that um, in, it's very interesting. It, within that principle, the, the, the main point of that principle is that we get further when we focus on our strengths. I mean, this is just, it's an evidence-based proven theory yes, that which I if love. you focus on somebody's strengths, yeah. you'll do better than if you focus on what they're doing wrong or what they're not doing. So the principle itself is really you know, based on that, the science behind the principle, you know, I'm a, a researcher, but it is, and it's not because I, I love and respect and am a member of a 12-step program. It was never meant as a dig to, but it's definitely meant as a flag for people who may have had an experience in 12-step recovery, like I had in the beginning, which was, I felt like I was just one big walking defect. And I, you know, I didn't have a sponsor who reminded me of my strengths, you know, because nobody had reminded her of her strengths. So it was really about the defects. And so I think it's just really important, again, scientifically and evidence-based that we focus on our strengths. Like, what are you doing right today? What went right today? You know, like mm. we can talk about what went wrong and what you need to improve later, but tell me one thing that went right. It's just so much more empowering, right, than, um, than that. So that's not to say that we, in order to change, we do still have to change behaviors and change attitudes. But we have got to, I think we start off by focusing on what we do well, and we use that strength. And for anybody who's in a 12 step program, who's, you know, done steps, you know, four through seven, seven, I think seven, 
been a while, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, when we look at when we, you know, you do your inventory and we look at characteristics, right? And we, we look at a characteristics, we're often led to identify that when doing, you know, when I'm doing this healthily, it's a good thing. It's just the other side of that is a defect, right? And so I just ask us to switch that, you know, that focus on your strengths. So my strength might be that I am, you know, one of my strengths is I'm compassionate and I'm interested in other women. And I, you know, I want to, um, I want to be there for them and I want to answer all their messages and all the texts and, all, and everything else. Well, the other side of that is I could become people pleasing or codependent or just not take care of myself. Like, you know, so I have to kind of focus on my strength. My strength is compassion and, and, and passion for women in recovery. But I need to make sure that I also take care of myself and I preserve my own energy and that I, you know, I, I pr practice self-care and all those types of things. So um, I just think it's really, really important when when we get into when we get into recovery, regardless of whether we're going to 12 step meetings or we're just joining a Facebook group or an online program such as the excellent one that Sober Nation has, you know, we're feeling pretty beat up. We're feeling pretty raw. We feel like, you know, if I am I allowed to swear? Go for it. We feel it's, like a piece of shit. Yeah. We, like, you know, we come <laughs> yeah. to recovery knowing like I am just the biggest piece of shit on this mm -hmm. planet. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we end up doing very often is, you know, we start hearing about all these defects and, and, and having sponsors who help us to identify. Luckily, we have the first three steps. So we, you know, we don't go right into that. But I bet if we did a survey of everybody in 12-step recovery who's ever done a fourth step um, and we asked them, like, what was the emphasis on in your fourth step? It would be their defects and their yeah. resentments and it would mm -hmm. not be their strength. But an inventory always has two sides of the ledger. That's right. true. And I just think that we don't focus enough on our strengths. That's true. That, yeah. That's what that's all about. Uh, and, and I really love that. Well, and you just use the word ledger. And I think that's, that's a really good way to put it because, you know, if we want to talk about, uh, you know, an inventory in a 12 step program, like in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's talking about, it's giving, uh, you know, the idea of a shopkeeper. Right. And so, yeah, you need to have, the bad stuff, the stuff that isn't selling or is out of date or expired or whatever it is. But you also need to know what's there. Like, what are the assets? What's on the good side yeah. of, of the ledger, right? And, yeah. and I think this is so important because I think early on in recovery, like, although I did start getting into, um, you know, just things outside of the 12-step program, you know, pr pretty soon, just in terms of you know, growth and, and mindset and all these different things. But, um, you know, I, I think that's in positive thinking is just so important. I, I think that that gets like blown yeah. off a lot of the time or people maybe um, in a 12 step program want to say it's pink cloud or, you know, kind of blow it off. It, it's so important though. And so when I'm only focusing on, and I will say, I just love, I'm into the science, I'm into the facts. What does the data say? So I, I appreciate yeah. you bringing that up, you know, but it's, I need to look at the good more than the bad. It's just the reality. If I'm always focused on the bad and how yeah. I am bad, I'm, I'm continuing to, to tell this lie to myself yeah. that I'm just going to be bad forever and life's just going to be bad. And that's just the way it is. I mean, it's why we need recovery, right? Is because we grew up receiving messages or, or, you know, developing our own messaging to ourselves that we're just not enough. We're not worthy enough. We're not good enough. We can't do anything right. We have nothing to offer. 
Like that's what got us here in the first place, I think, for many of us. So I just think it's really, really important. And having that as an intention guiding principle is just that reminder. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. So I, I need to ask, so you got started yourself in a 12-step program. We've been talking a lot about 12-step 12, 12 programs here. What are your thoughts on 12-step programs for women? I, um, two, two funny things I want to say that right now in the recovery community, I find that there's such a, you know, it's been really disturbing in our community and other online communities to have this kind of polarized, this conversation that polarizes 12 step against individualized pathways. Um, for, for she recovers, 12 step is, is, a, is, a, is a pathway that I think is, I think every woman who needs recovery should explore 12 step recovery and see if it works for her. Okay. I would never say stay away from it. I think everybody should explore it. Um, you know, I'm a privileged white woman who can go on retreats, who can hire a therapist, who can go to yoga classes, who can, you know, pay for all these different things. 12-step programs are the most accessible, free program out there. So who am I to ever say you should not go there because the language is outdated and a little bit archaic? Mm. Because it is in some of the programs. Sure. I always joke. I mean, you know, I try not to disclose what 12-step program I'm affiliated with, but every once in a while I'll say to people in the other program that we update our literature on a regular basis. (laughs) So there you go. We don't Um, need a dictionary to know what is being said (laughs) in this book. (laughs) Exactly. So I think that every, you know, and and I just think that, you know, as many people point out, and Tommy Rosen did a wonderful uh, YouTube discussion. It's on YouTube. I forget what it's called, but brilliant about this just last week, because there's been all these things blowing up in the recovery community, especially the online recovery community about this polarization um, you know, he talks about 12 steps, the spiritual principles in 12 step programs are the same spiritual principles that you're going to want to invite into your life if you're working a, a recovery pathway. And yet also, yeah. if you're agnostic, or if you're atheist, or you don't want anything to do with even the word spirituality, then we can call them universal truths, and they're still going to, you know, going to be working for you. So my, my position, she recovers position is that 12 um, step recovery is one of the most available and proven, I believe it's proven, methods of recovery. And I think everybody should check it out. If you go there and it doesn't fit for you, that's okay. You can find some other things. Some women, you know, do an individualized pathway. And after a few years, they check out a meeting because they want more community. And, you know, they've got enough recovery to go in there. And when somebody tells them they have to go to 90 meetings in 90 days, they have enough confidence to say, screw you. Like, no, I don't need to do that. Thank you. Nobody's going to make me do that. I wrote a blog a little while ago called Dear Women in 12-Step Programs, where I talk about how uh, we could, as women in 12-Step Recovery, we could just do a little bit better with some of the messaging, the fear-based driven messaging that we give women when we meet them new in recovery so Mm. sorry i'm not really answering the question she recovers thinks everybody should check it out okay my own personal recovery i will always maintain membership in my 12-step program i am a member because i say i am and nobody can make me go away or tell me that i have to leave because i'm not currently sponsoring or i don't currently have a sponsor i'm not working a set of steps and i'm not doing service in in that program um they just can't. And so, so that's kind of my feelings on it. The other thing I kind of did, which is I shouldn't be talking about this, was I made a declaration the other day in our internal online free community and said, from now on, when anybody asks me about 12-step recovery, I'm just going to say, does it save lives? 
and any program that saves lives is good by me. Because I mm. talked about not wanting to, like, just wanting to get beyond the conversation. It's yeah, been going on yeah. for so long. Yeah. That it's like people are dying out there, and I don't think we have to. I don't think we have to really talk anymore about twelve step or not twelve step. I think we have to talk about whatever works for you. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, and I'll just be honest. Like, my thinking on that has has changed. And me too. A, a, a big part because I used to be, I was one of those people that was just like 12 steps, like, you know, do it or die. It, you know, the, the thing is, is that one of the reasons that I really like doing this podcast is because I'm learning yeah. and continuing to open my mind to the different ways that, that other successful people and successful people in recovery are doing things. My yeah. way is not the only way. Exactly. One of the most powerful things I think that happened for me in recovery was that mindset shift. Because hmm. I was that person too. I just repeated what people told me. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you don't, if you stop going to meetings and you're actually, you know, you're either, what was that thing? You're never, you don't coast in recovery. You're either going one, you're either taking one step back or one step forward. First of all, I think you can coast in recovery, personally. I don't think you want to do it for a really long extended period of time, but you can coast every once in a while. Yeah. But my observation over the years was all the, and I'll just speak to women, but it was men as well. People who I knew that it, they didn't feel at home in, in, in my 12 step program. It didn't work for them. The language didn't work. The expectations didn't work. Uh, the steps didn't work. You know, um, first of all, a lot of people come in with trauma. So the, the idea that you're going to sit down and all of a sudden, share the most traumatic things that ever happened to you with another yeah. human being who's not a professional like all the reasons that it might not work for people it was happening and we would see these people leave you know stop going to meetings and leave and inevitably some of them did then start using and die and i saw that as oh they died because they stopped going to meetings but then i really you know a few women who were very close to me who i knew and i knew how they'd struggled with wanting to fit into what we were doing and it just, they couldn't, it wasn't true to them. And I had to shift my thinking about, started about 15 years ago. And what I saw was they, when they left the 12 step program, they felt like they were being true to themselves because it wasn't fitting for them anymore. But then the shame and the, just the, you know, I mean, people would stop talking, like people would stop being their friend because they weren't going to meetings anymore. They didn't have anything else to go to. So they would feel like, well, I've left the program they're telling me I'm going to die. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So um, that's when I really started changing my mind about it and realizing that not everybody's going to recover in 12-step programs. And thank God that now women and, and other people are learning that there are other ways that, you know, you can do it a different way. They don't have to go off and not be in recovery and potentially not get the support they need and potentially lose their lives. So and also have a really dear friend who lost her daughter to addiction, who yells from the top of her, like the top of any mountain she can find about how important it is that we give everybody permission to recover because her daughter didn't have that choice. Her daughter was one of the ones who received that messaging that, you know, if you're not in recovery in 12-step programs, you're not in recovery. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, unfortunately, there's, there's just still a lot of, you, you know, some of the old school stuff is, is great. But, you know, I, I think, again, it's you – I think there is a fine line between I, I'm going to take what works for me and, and leave the rest because sometimes I'm just that, – that also equates to doing the bare minimum. 
right? So it's like I, I the thing that that is old school that I really like, it, uh, you know, from a twelve step program is to thine own self be true. You know, it's what, what is really working for it? Like, let me get honest with myself about this. Like, am I, am I not doing something because it's hard work or am I not doing something because it's just really not a good, not a good fit for me, you know? And I think we have to have those conversations with ourselves. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you, you guys have a few uh, events coming up. So tell me a little bit about those. I know you have one going on in Miami. Oh my gosh. Um, I don't even know where to start. Where do we start? What day is it? It's February yet. Yes. February. Um, our next thing is um, a professional symposium in Miami at the Biltmore Hotel. So it's a one-day symposium for people in the industry who are in the medical profession, other professions. Um, we have a keynote speaker, Dr. Stephanie, Stephanie Covington, who is kind of the expert in women trauma and addiction, and then a number of other great speakers um, for the day. We have CEs, like professional CEs, so um, pro um, professionals can come to the Biltmore for that day. And the next day, we launch our third uh, Women in Recovery conference. So we've done She Recovers in New York City in 2017. She Recovers in LA in 2018. And now we're doing She Recovers in Miami. So it's a three-day wow. celebration of Women in Recovery. We've got all sorts of exciting things going on, speakers and um, pool parties and sharing circles and a marketplace and activities and a run. My daughter, Karen, co-founder, will be teaching yoga. Uh, Nikki Myers from Y12SR will be teaching a yoga class and speaking. It's just an incredible um, weekend, you know, 600 women all in one place, all celebrating recovery. So that's taking place. In June, we have our very first um, retreat specifically for professionals. So we've hosted 34 retreats for women. And in June, we're hosting our first four-day retreat for women from the legal professionals, or from oh, the legal wow. profession. Okay. And then another one for um, professionals from the healthcare profession. So these are women who are in recovery themselves. Wow. But, you know, specific. And then July, we have our West Coast retreats here on beautiful Salt Spring Island over here on the West Coast of Canada. They're all sold out. Um, and then in September, we're doing two retreats in Sedona. So you guys yeah. have nothing going on, basically. Not much. And then, just... yeah, and then Taryn's doing her second training of She Recovers Yoga Teachers. So she wow. trains yoga teachers who are already yoga teachers in She Recovers Yoga. So they become She Recovers Designated Yoga Teachers, uh, trauma-informed. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. all these events sound... That's just our events. We also have a <laughs> podcast. We're on In the Rooms. We have a coaching program. We train coaches. We have coaches for hire. Yeah, there's there's a lot. I'm a wow. workaholic. Did I mention that? You you may have mentioned that. Yeah, I work with a few others. So, <laughs> well, I I mean, it sounds like you guys have an absolutely incredible growing and and thriving movement. So so important for for everyone in recovery, but definitely uh, women who are uh, in recovery, like we've been talking about for various reasons, from various and multiple thing so before we wrap up what is one piece of advice that you'd like to share with the sober nation just be curious like just explore you know explore where you're at in your own journey and whether you need recovery and like then dig deeper and say like well maybe somebody can help me figure out an answer to that and then explore well how should I do this and then try something and then try something else and like just really be curious and explore and, um, you know, you'll find a way to 
to kind of bring, I don't know, I guess for me, it's just about life is hopefully about bringing joy into our life. You know, I'm like, I'm turning 60 in May. I'm a little freaked out, not in like, a, oh my God, I'm getting old thing, but in like, cause I, like I said, I've just, I've already survived some pretty devastating diseases, but I want to make the rest of my life count. I think a lot of my life has counted, but I, it's like, I have this, I really want to make sure. So I'm really exploring, like, what do I want this next 40 years to look like? before I die when I'm 100. Yeah. You know, I'm so I'm getting curious, I'm trying different things. I'm trying not to travel as much this year. So I'm not going to all of those retreats that I talked about. I'm just trying something just yeah, explore, try, get curious, ask lots of questions. I love that. So so important in recovery, outside of recovery. I, I think yeah. that's just awesome life advice in general. So you can learn more about she recovers at sherecovers.co.co. Thanks again for coming on with me today, Don. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Jonathan. Thank you. You're an awesome interviewer. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And again, whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. Nation, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.